Welcome back once again to 10 Minutes in the Field. My name is David. It's been a very, very long time. Well, I hope that you're okay. I hope all is well. I hope that you're safe. We are back and we are back with some new material that I know will bless your heart. I hope you enjoyed your time with Camp in the Cloud. I am now going to take the next couple of days airing some of the messages from great friends like Ray Pritchard and Phil Mosher and Chris Stout. These were some of the speakers during the camp in the cloud. In fact, there's another camp in the cloud, before I forget, that is in the plans right now. Keep your eyes open. If you subscribe to this podcast, you'll be among the first ones to know once all the details are finalized. I must warn you though, these camps fill up uh, really, really quick. Well, I must say that the last couple of months have really been challenging. I have a friend that has been hospitalized with COVID-19 and uh, he's not been doing well. If you are part of the early listeners of this show, then you heard him. His name is Dave Nightingale. And I know that most of you listeners know Dave. Dave and Dave, his wife, are a special couple uh, to most of us. Please keep them in prayer. Well, right now, I'd like to let you listen to Ray Pritchard as he covers the topic on trials. How do you thrive in trials, Ray? When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Yeah, I'm going to say to you, that's not natural. Quote, welcome your trials as friends. Now, you can't see this, but I'm looking down at the text right now, this, this trend, when it's when J.B. Phillips said, but well, don't resent them as intruders, which frankly is how we all look at the problems of life, that something has just, something has just entered life we didn't expect, but welcome them as friends. And in, the, and in Phillips' translation, he puts an exclamation point, dot, dot, welcome them as friends. That's the part that really got to me. That isn't natural when you're facing a problem in a relationship or you've lost your job or maybe you end up in jail or a loved one gets in trouble with the law or your church is blowing up or health problems. I mean, here we are in the quarantine. We're all locked down. How are we supposed to welcome that as a friend? Let me just say this. If you don't get anything else, I say, please get this. When hard times come, don't trust your feelings. Write that down, friends. Don't trust your feelings because your feelings are not a reliable guide in the time of trial, in the time of hardship, in the time of difficulty. You're going to have to make a conscious choice to ignore your feelings and trust what God has said. Listen, when you were scared, when you were tired, when you were angry, your emotions are going to lead you down a thousand different roads, and those roads don't lead you to the right destination. So let me tell you a little story. A few years ago, Marlene and I were on our way home from a speaking engagement. I think it could have been a word of life up in New York. We were on our way home and we were flying home in one of those planes that has three seats here and three seats here. So Marlene had the seat by the window. I had the seat in the middle and a young man came and sat down next to me. Of course, never met him before, but he was a talkative sort of Young man, turns out he was serving in the military. He was training in the Air Force. He told me he was training to be an Air Force fighter pilot. Now, those guys, I mean, those are, those are like the top gun guys. 
Those are the best of the best. I mean, he'd already been through basic training, already been in Air Force, but this was highly advanced training to be a fighter pilot, to get in those jets that cost tens of millions of dollars and learn how to do all those extremely advanced things. And so during the flight, uh, I had never, the, the plane ride, I had never talked to a fighter pilot in training before. And, and I asked him about this and about that, and he told about the training. And he said, you know, if you're gonna fly a fighter plane, there's no margin for error. And then he said this, here is what they teach us. If you get in trouble in the plane, you can't trust your emotions. And you can't trust your feelings. If something goes wrong, you've got to look at your instruments and trust what they say. Then he said, there is something called the death spiral. That's when a plane gets in trouble. And he said, the plane is starting to go in circles like this. And he said, here's the strange thing. At the beginning of the death spiral, the pilot usually doesn't realize what is happening because it begins to happen so slowly that you're going like this. The pilot, he said, you know, you're under all this pressure up there and they tell us you don't realize what's happening. But here's the deal. The death spiral starts slow, but it gets faster and faster and faster. And by the time you realize what's going on, you're going so fast, you can't get out of it. And that's when the plane ends up crashing into the ground. And he said, this is what they tell us. At the beginning of the death spiral, the only way to save your life is to ignore what you can see, ignore what your feelings tell you, and look at the instruments in front of you. Trust your instruments, he says, because the instruments don't lie. It is the same way in the time of trials. You cannot trust your feelings because your feelings lead you in the wrong direction. The Word of God is like the instrument, an instrument panel of a fighter plane. The instrument panel of the Word of God does not lie. And so when hard times come, you got to say two things. Number one, this is sent by the Lord. And number two, this is necessary for my spiritual growth, which is a way of saying great trials bring great hope of great benefit to me. Our problem comes when we read James 1, 2, and I admit this part of my problem too, count it pure joy. We think joy is happiness or giddiness, like going to a party or hanging out with your friends. And when you feel just really up about everything, biblically speaking, let me give you a definition of joy. Joy is deep satisfaction from knowing God is in control when my circumstances seem out of control. Let me read that again. Joy is deep satisfaction from knowing God is in control when my circumstances seem out of control. That's the command. Count it all joy. Here's the reason in verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Every word of that is crucial for, you know, he's not talking about head knowledge here. He's talking about what I call theology at midnight. You know, you learn your theology in the sunlight. You discover your theology at midnight. You learn all the doctrines and you learn the Bible and you learn the lessons and you, you, you learn this stuff as head knowledge during the day, but it's in the darkness of night when everything is crumbling around you. That's when you discover what you 
really believe, which is why Ecclesiastes 7 says, it is better to go to the house of sorrow than the house of feasting. Look, I have been to many happy homes. Well, here in America, we have the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, where, where it's, it's the end of the professional football season, and it's, of course, broadcast all around the world. And one of the big things we do here in America when the Super Bowl comes, big celebration, you know, you have, uh, you have your team that you're rooting for, you have your friends, and you have your, you have your hors d'oeuvres, you have your dips and your chips, and you have your Coke, and you have your coffee, and you have your tea, and you have your, you have your wings, and you have your, uh, your ham, and you have your turkey, and you have your cupcakes, and cake, and pie. It's a big celebration. It goes on for three, four, five hours. Super Bowl parties are really big. Let me just tell you something. I have been to many Super Bowl parties in my life. I've never learned one thing from any Super Bowl party I have ever attended. Not one thing. Not one thing. I enjoy them. They're fun, but they don't really teach me anything. Everything of value that I have ever learned. I mean, deep truth. I have learned in the house of sorrow, which is why we learn much more by going to a funeral than we do by going to a Super Bowl party. As the man said, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things that I did learn when sorrow walked with me. For we know, you know, that the testing, well, that's the picture of gold ore. You know how they get pure gold? They take gold ore out of the, and they, they dig it out of these deep mines and they put it in the smelting pot and they heat it up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of degree, degrees hot. They heat it up until the gold ore is liquefied and the dross, which is the dirt and the refuse, it, it floats to the top because it's lighter. The pure gold sinks to the bottom and the heat causes the dross and the gold to separate. The dross is just skimmed off. You're left with nothing but pure gold. How do you keep your head up in ministry during a time like this where almost the entire globe has been affected by COVID-19? How do you keep going with a clear vision? Well, we want to involve you in our ministry in Rwanda. On 29th of this month of August, I'll be sharing a live ministry update and vision of the Ministry of World of Life in Rwanda. There's a link in the description uh, for you to join this event. Uh, please book your spot right now. Uh, I'll be taking questions live during this webinar and uh, I hope to see you then. I hope to see you then as we chat a way forward to the ministry in Rwanda amidst difficult times uh, like this. Well, right now, Let's get back to Rep. Richard as he shares from God's Word. That, my friends, is exactly how God produces growth in your life and in mine. Job 23.10 says, He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, when he's tested me, when he's put me through the furnace, I shall come forth as gold. Some of you tonight, that's where you are. You're in the furnace. Your friends may know it. Maybe your friends don't know it. You're in a time of testing. And God has turned up the heat. 
and you can feel the heat and it's uncomfortable being inside the furnace. My friends, may I say to you this, that our God is good. He is kind and he is loving. He's got his hand right on the timer dial. He will not turn the heat up one degree more than's necessary. You will not be in the furnace one second longer than is necessary to produce the pure gold of Christian character. You know what? I know there are some people, even well-meaning Christians, who look at brothers and sisters who are going through a hard time, and their first thought is they must be great sinners to be going through a hard time. I never think that. When I see a brother or sister going through a hard time, I always think to myself, there must be a lot of gold there. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In Greek, that's hupomone. It means to, it means, it has the idea of you're lifting up. There's a burden, uh, there's a burden on you and you're standing under it. Literally, it's to lift up, to stand strong under the burdens of life. It's a word that's sometimes translated endurance, sometimes steadfastness, sometimes patience. In the early centuries of the Christian church, this was a word that was used for a battle tested soldier, endurance of a battle-tested soldier. It was also an early church word that was used for the martyrs. Oh, get this, get this. In the book of Revelation, it was used for Christians, believers who would not take the mark of the beast. Maybe in our days, that's a passage we need to go back and look at. Hupomone, steadfast, battle tested faith. It was said of the martyrs of the early church, because their faith was so strong, they died singing. They died singing. Do you want this quality? Perseverance. Do you want steadfastness? Do you want uh, uh, lasting, lasting patience? Do you want perseverance? Okay. Do you want it? You can have it, but it's not free. It's not free. The only way to develop perseverance is to go through the hard times of life. So we come to the last part of this passage, the promise in verse number four. Oh, what a promise it is. First the command and then the condition and then the promise. The reason in verse three, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me give you a definition, different definition of perseverance. It is desperate dependence plus gritty faith. Desperate dependence plus gritty faith. What's the process? Well, the process is it's the means by which God uses the hard times of life. He says perseverance must complete or must finish its work. Many, many years ago, maybe 45 years ago, when I was a student at the Christian college in Chattanooga, Tennessee, southeastern part of the U.S. I worked for a little while at Jorgas Carpet Mill. This is a great big, great big factory where they made, uh, well, they made carpets, obviously. And uh, I wasn't a technician. I wasn't a carpet maker. They just hired me as a college student to come in and sweep, uh, you know, sweep around. And uh, they had a lot of refuse and stuff and it's pieces of fabric. And I just basically to keep the place clean. And one day, they, they showed me the big machine where they made the carpets, where they, you know, they, they had all the different parts of the process, but eventually had to put it all together. Well, it was a vast room. I mean, way, 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 I don't know, 
40 or 50 feet high up to the ceiling and coming down on the wall from the ceiling, there were all these spools of, well, they looked like thread, but it was really the yarn that, that was being fed in and it was being spun at incredible rate. And, and there were hundreds, hundreds of spools of yarn and every color of every shade of brown and every shade of red and every shade of yellow and every shade of green. I mean, every kind of color you could think about. And they were all huge. I mean, the huge spools of yarn. And they were turning at incredible speed and they were all coming in down here on some kind of uh, electronic loom is the only thing I can think of. You could see the yarn was coming in just it, 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 so fast it was blurring my vision. You could see it coming in and this machine was loud. It was really, 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 it was clicking and clacking and, and there was noise in me. You almost had to put your fingers in, in your ears. And as you stood and I was on one side of the machine and all you could see on the one side of the machine was was all these spools of, of yarn and then turning around like this and coming in and somehow being not very technical explanation, I realized, but like this, all the different colors and the noise. It was a disconfident situation. I'm saying, as you stood on that side, it didn't make any sense. I mean, you knew they were making uh, some kind of carpet, but you couldn't see. And the fellow showing to me said, Come around the other side. I walked around to the other side, and there I saw it. You could see it, line upon line, the row upon row of the yarn, this color and that color, all perfectly coming together. And you could see the carpet actually coming together. On one side, it was just noise and apparently random strands of yarn coming together. On the other side, you could see the perfect design being produced. My friends, right now, we are living on the backside of that carpet machine. All we see is just noise, sound, a cacophony of colors. Nothing makes sense. And every once in a while, God, I think, lets us come to the other side of the machine. We get just a little peek, a little peek. You know what heaven's going to be like? Jonathan Edwards says, you wonder, what are we going to do in heaven for all eternity? Jonathan Edwards said, in heaven, one thing we're going to do is get together as the saints of God. And we're going to spend eternity telling your story and mine and her story and his. And in heaven, we're going to marvel at how God took what seemed to be all the random pieces of life and wove them together into a beautiful pattern. We're going to see what God has done. Well, these are the words of Ravi Zacharias, great man of God, went to be with the Lord just not too many days ago. Ravi said this, time is the brush with which God paints his story on the canvas of human history. Eternity is the perspective from which we view the painting. Gosh, I like that. What's time? Time is the brush with which God paints his story on the canvas of human history. Eternity is the perspective from which we view the painting. You know what we're like? We're like ants crawling on a painting by Rembrandt, some beautiful masterpiece. Here comes an ant. As he crawls onto the painting, it's all brown. And the ant says to himself, oh, this painting is nothing but brown. 
but he keeps on crawling and here's some blue. Oh, this painting is nothing but blue and he keeps on crawling and there's yellow. And he goes, oh, this painting is nothing but yellow. That's what we are. We're ants on a Rembrandt. And when life is good, we think, well, all of life is good. When life is nothing but sorrow and heartache, we think, oh, life is nothing but the dark colors. It's not until we finally get to heaven, we will stand back and we will say, oh God, I didn't see it, but you were painting a masterpiece in my life. You know what our danger is? Our danger is we're going to short circuit that process. When Eugene Peterson was giving us his paraphrase and the message of verse number four, he said, be sure you don't short circuit the process. And uh, he said it this way, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Mm -hmm. Look, when hard times come, it's natural to want to get out of those hard times. When you're thrown into the fiery furnace of affliction, I, I can't blame anybody for saying, this is hard, Lord, please make it stop. But I think Eugene Peterson is right. We gotta be careful that we don't try to get out of a hard situation prematurely. We gotta give God time to do his work. Here's the end of the text. We'll be mature and complete. We'll have everything we need. If we need hope, God's gonna use our hard times to give us hope. If we need faith, God's gonna use our hard time to give us faith. If we need love, God's gonna use our hard times to give us love. Come to think of it, perseverance, he's gonna give us that. Wisdom, he's going to give us that. Courtesy, he's going to give us that. Uh, a forgiving spirit, he's going to give us that. God is going to produce in your life and in mine the things that we don't have now and couldn't get any other way. Look, when hard times come, there's something we can't know and something we can know. We can't always know why things happen. You know, you can ask, how come I got fired? But really, it doesn't make any difference what the answer is. All you really need to know is, I had a job. I don't have one now. Come much deeper. When a loved one dies, what answer could God give that would make any sense to us anyway? Most of the time, when heartbreaking circumstances come, we're not really going to know why. Here's the one thing we can know. We can know that God is at work in our trials.